You're listening to an episode from our Design Thinking Season, a series of conversations with people talking about their ideas and experiences with the design thinking process, universal design and inclusive design. Hi, welcome to the podcast. I'm Moritz. And I'm Julia. Today we're talking to Bernie McGahan from IRDG, the Industry Research and Development Group, a member-based non-profit business-led innovation network. You are very welcome to the podcast, Bernie. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and IRDG to begin? Sure, Julia, and thanks to you and Moritz for inviting me on. It's a it's a pleasure. Um, I'm a graduate from, from UCD myself, and I'm a, a scientist by training. And my entire career, I guess, has been focused on supporting companies with their research and innovation activities from a few different perspectives. Um, from an academic perspective, from a development agency perspective, and also from a, a business network perspective. One of my first roles was actually in UCD, in I guess what you'd call now a tech transfer role. So helping companies to commercialize their academic research and helping companies leverage the university research capabilities to address problems and, and challenges that they had. And I moved from there to join a new development agency that was born out of the Good Friday Agreement. Intertrade Ireland was established to support North-South cooperation, and it was a really exciting initiative to be involved in from the start. Obviously, trade was where the most immediate opportunity was, but it also extended to business development. And my role was to support North-South cooperation in, in research and innovation. And I guess for the last five years, I've been part of IRDG, which, as you said, is a business-led network, and it focuses exclusively on R&D and innovation. And the network represents all companies in, involved in those activities across all sectors of industry, so from agriculture, construction, engineering, right through to pharma, telecoms, med devices, software. And we also have the majority of academic institutions and centres as members too. And these members, they cover every county in Ireland and they range in size and ownership. So we've got micro, small, medium, large, indigenous companies, that's about 60% of the membership, and also foreign-owned, which is about 40%. And some have a long history in R&D and are well-structured and others less so. Some have five people working for them, others might have 5,000. So it's a very diverse network. And even though many are at different stages in the development of their innovation agenda, they're all united in the fact that they are involved in those activities. And IRDG has been on the go for 30 years. And in all that time, we've been helping to drive Irish innovation. So along with being a network, we're also a representative body advocating for companies on, on research and innovation issues. We support members to avail of relevant national and international funding and tax incentives. We bring companies together to share learning and experiences. We promote collaboration between partners in the third level sector. And we also facilitate capability building. And I guess that's where our work on design thinking comes in. Speaking of design thinking, um, when did you first encounter design thinking? I, I guess that would be during my time in Intertrade Ireland. Um, that was a body that started in 2000, and there was precious little data available and no real precedent for how an agency like that might work to support North-South cooperation, and particularly amongst SMEs. So we 
set about to talk to as many businesses as we could and get as much insight as possible. And during that time, we learned a lot about how SMEs innovated and the varying levels of success that they've had. And it became really clear that you know, there was a real deficit in terms of a reliable innovation process. So we set out to devise a program that might, that might help with that. And we partnered with a specialist company to develop it. And that's where I started to hear things like, you know, starting with the customer perspective, mining for insights, iterating, prototyping, customer feedback, words like that. And this, this approach to innovation, this kind of like insight driven approach to innovation was all very different from the technology led approach that I had seen previously. And I guess, although we didn't know it at the time, we were actually using some elements of design thinking in that program. And after that, I, I attended an IRDG innovation conference and the topic actually was design thinking. And really that was when the penny dropped because what I could see then were speakers who were talking about using an approach and a mindset of designers in the innovation process. And this really spurred my interest in the topic. And I started talking to designers just to get a better understanding of their approaches. Um, I did a piece of research on the design services sector, and I was also involved in a report on design-driven innovation, which highlighted the importance of design and the value it, it brings to business. But eventually, I found myself working for IRDG, um, which had begun its own journey with design thinking, and, and that has continued really ever since. That's very interesting. Um, can you tell us why design thinking has become so popular in your industry? I think across all industries, uh, Julia, you know, the momentum behind design thinking is really coming from companies' own interest in innovation because it's regarded as key for competitive advantage. But yet there are plenty of reports about new products, new services, new startup failures. So clearly something isn't quite right. But yet, on the other hand, you know, we have stories about the brands like Apple, Microsoft, IBM, Disney, and they've demonstrated great success by integrating design into their processes. And really, they've recognized that good innovation comes from the intersection between desirability. And by that, I mean, you know, desirability of the customer or of the user, the the viability at the business level and also the feasibility of the technology. And these stories have been well documented in business publications and have contributed to to building a business case for sure for design thinking. And, you know, today, more than ever, the demands for innovation are huge. Uh, We see it every day with our members. It's increasingly difficult to stand out from the crowd. And customers have become much, much more discerning. So what design thinking does is really provide a framework to create solutions but starting from a user needs perspective. So it helps companies get a deep understanding of their customers and and what their unmet needs are. And really what it does, it shifts the focus from maybe from developing a product based on assumptions and keeping your fingers crossed that it will work for your customers or your users, flipping that over to a user-centered approach where you, first of all, you study the people involved, you develop insights, and then you design around that. And, you know, just, just think about that and how different it is to the analytical way 
industrial companies would have used it in the past. It's pretty incredible, you know. And I think it was a study a while back from uh, by Gartner, and they said that 89% of companies will expect to compete mostly on the basis customer experience. And in fact, you know, we did a survey of members, I'd say it's about three years ago now. And at the time, traditional R&D was the number one approach to innovation and design thinking was about third. But I suspect if we were to run that survey now, uh, you know, the findings would be would be very different. And I guess one of the drivers or another driver of its popularity is its accessibility. Any discipline can learn it and upskill it, you know, to a useful level fairly quickly without having to do years and years of study that a, a traditional designer might have to do. And also, you know, design thinking doesn't preclude other approaches to innovation. It can be inclusive. It can fit in with other existing processes that there are in a company, say, like, like StageGate. And, you know, that's the beauty of it, because you can build it into whatever you have without having to go through a radical change. So I think there are lots of lots of factors that are contributing to its uh, to its popularity. Thank you. So we you already uh, talked a little bit about the problems or the yeah the challenges that users have. Can you talk about the value of getting more comfortable with the problem space before jumping into the solution space? Sure. You know, and I think in a way, certainly people of my generation, we've been conditioned to jump straight into solutions. And, you know, when I think back over my career and a phase uh, or a phrase I would have heard lots and lots of times um, coming from my bosses was, you know, don't come to me with a problem come to me with a solution. Now, happily, I think things have, have moved on from that. But in my mind, the problem space is all about finding the right problem to solve. And, you know, I'm sure you're all familiar with the Einstein quote. It sums it up great. If I only had an hour to save the world, I'd spend 55 minutes defining the problem and only five minutes finding the solution. And, you know, we probably can all call out a few products that have failed because they just simply didn't solve a need or they solved a need that didn't exist and in fact i don't know if you've come across it you can certainly look it up on on google there's a museum of failure and it's an and it's an exhibit that tours around different countries and it and it celebrates these failures and you can see with these products you know they just didn't understand the problem well enough and when you spend time understanding the real needs of your users well it's a de-risking activity really isn't it uh, And, you know, without doubt, you really have to spend more time and use better tools to understand the problem before you solve it. Because living in that kind of space helps you gather, I guess, non-obvious kinds of insights. And they are the gold dust of innovation because they help you redefine the problem that will steer you in the, in the right direction. And, you know, there's a wonderful experience or a wonderful example of that from the Stanford D School. and so it's published, it's, again, it's, it's available on, on the website, but every year, one in five premature babies will die. And about 99% of those happen in, you know, in the low to middle income countries. And an incubator, something that you use, you know, you, you see it in the news and that's where they keep uh, premature babies. They cost about $25,000. And obviously that's way, way out of the range for a lot of people. So a team of students like yourselves in Stanford were tasked with designing a low-cost incubator at 1% of what the normal cost would be. 
And in getting deep into the issue, they found, in fact, the hospital incubators were, in fact, empty, you know, because babies that were born far away couldn't travel. So the challenge was reframed as to how they could create a device to keep a baby warm so that it would help parents in remote villages give their sick babies a chance to survive. So that more deep understanding of what the issues were actually shifted you know, the solution from clinicians and the technology around incubators and how you make them um, you know, more affordable to actually to the parents at home in their villages. And as a result of that work, they created it's like a, a tiny sleeping bag with a, with a little pouch and it can keep um, it can maintain temperature up to four hours. So they developed this prototype and they got loads of feedback and iterated it um, even further. And from there, they developed, I think it's called the Embrace, the Embrace Infant, so like, a, like a body warmer. Um, and it costs only $25. You know, so I think that's a real powerful example. And like ultimately, it comes down to the question that if you don't fully understand the problem, then you're going to struggle with who or what you're even solving for. You mentioned this just now when talking about the baby incubators, but a lot of organizations just want a quick fix when trying to figure out a solution to their problems when that was clearly a very good solution and not just creating a new incubator to put in a hospital, but instead something to give to people at home. But do you think that the way design, that is the way design thinking is supposed to work, just a quick fix instead of a real solution? Yeah, uh, I think when it comes to having the confidence of putting a significant budget resource into initiatives, you have to do the hard work to build up the evidence. You know, I'm thinking about our, our member companies and, you know, the, the pressures that there are to innovate, the pressures that there are to come out with, you know, really useful innovations that will help them maintain market share and, and leap their competitors. They're not small pieces of work and, and they command big, big budgets to do that. You have to have a lot of confidence. And, and to my mind, there is no real shortcut. There's, there's no quick fix because when you think about the complexity of problems that companies have, typically there's no definition of what the ideal solution is, yet an acceptable solution has to be arrived at. Most of the times there's, there's no data. There's a real lack of understanding. So you really have to keep iterating around those three areas that I mentioned, desirability, viability, and feasibility until optimal concepts for a, for a solution are found. And, you know, this is not a linear process. It's very iterative, takes time. You certainly need a, a repertoire of skills and a really good cross-functional team that is working collaboratively. And, I, you know, I think if you just view design thinking as a straightforward process, it'll seldom deliver the outputs that you're looking for. It has to incorporate messiness and experimentation. And, you know, to make that happen, there certainly has to be a culture at the top that's happy to tolerate a certain amount of uncertainty, that's happy to um, support the extra amount of work that's needed at the front end of innovation, and that's happy to devote a certain amount of, of time and resources. Thank you. So um, next question would be, does design thinking replace designers? That's an interesting question and certainly a topic that has got a lot of currency in, in, on various um, chat forums and, and what have you. 
And, you know, I don't really see this as an either or issue. You've got non-designers that are trained in design thinking. And then you obviously have, you know, traditionally trained, classically trained designers. When you think about it, both of these have different domain knowledges. And the best benefit to be had is when you can get them to work together. And to be honest, I think the wider business community has a much better appreciation now for the way designers think and work. You know, there are certain roles for, um, there are certain roles in business for classically trained designers. And over recent years, the number of design jobs in the economy has definitely been increasing. But there's no doubt that there are also roles, you know, for the likes of scientists, engineers, finance people with some design thinking skills so that they can apply a more creative approach to to problem solving. But, you know, the conversation around design thinking has also broadened people's understanding about the overall design of their offering and how well it meets user needs and, and how it stacks up against the competition. And we see many companies who would not have any in-house expertise, let's say, are turning to design services to that sector to support them. And, you know, in those instances, designers are getting embedded in company teams. And these are benefiting by exposing them to, to the practices and mindsets of, of designers. So in my mind, it's, it's not an either-or situation. It's actually a win-win situation if we can get both design thinkers and designers working together. Agreed. Uh, how do you think IRDG promotes and supports its members within design thinking? Well, of course, design thinking has been a, a big topic for IRDG for, for many years now. And in fact, I would say that we've really played a, a pioneering role in promoting it to, to the Irish business community since or oh, goes back to about 2014. And since then, you know, every year we run uh, an annual national conference in design thinking. And we're very fortunate to have great connections with some of the leading thinkers in the area who have spoken at our events. So people like um, Jean Litke from the, the Darden Business School in the States, Uli Weinberg from the, the D School, the HPID School in Berlin, Roberto Verganti in the, in the, the University in Milan, Holly O'Driscoll in, in, in the US. So what we try to do with these is to really um, give people an opportunity to hear what the latest thinking um, or what, what design thinking is. And along with that, we've also built a design thinking program tailored for, for Irish business. And what we aim to do is to coach company teams in, in, you know, in the mindset, the tools and the techniques of design thinking. And we're actually doing our, our 12th run of the program currently. And you know, when I look back over the years, we've trained about 500 um, business people in design thinking. And also to complement that, we, we do one-day workshops, which are, which are deep dives. But, you know, the critical mass is, is developing in this area. And we also run shared interest groups um, for design thinking. And this is really, I guess, a, a peer learning forum where individuals who are interested in, in practicing design and thinking, they can come together and share their experiences and, and learn from each other. And, you know, that really offers opportunities for members to build upon their program of learning and to deeply embed their, their capabilities. And something else we're involved in, um, IRDG is the Irish representative on the Global Design Thinking Alliance. And this is a network of organizations across the world that is really spreading the word of design thinking, 
Um, we discuss best practices in design thinking, education, skills, training and research. And I guess that leads nicely into what we're doing as part of the design skills implementation group. Um, this group was, was born out of a, a 2020 publication called Together for Design. And it was published by the expert group on future skill needs. And that report highlighted that you know, there was going to be an undersupply of people to meet the growing demand for design skills in the year ahead. And it made a number of recommendations. So the Design Skills Implementation Group um, includes ourselves and you know, other super people from the Design and Craft Council of Ireland, Design Educators Ireland, the Institute of Designers in Ireland, the Service Design Network, and the Big Idea. And it's making lots of great progress around collaboration uh, between education and enterprise, career pathways, transition year programs, and also including strategic design as, as a module in, in non-design courses. So really, I guess we've extended our, our promotion role, you know, just from business to, to the wider case as well, because we see a really strong case to ensure that there is a really good pipeline of design thinking skills because they will be needed. They are future skills that are needed for the new era of innovation that we have upon us now. So talking about the programs that are offered by our IRDG, do you have any Irish examples of companies where design thinking worked really well? Yes. <laughs> um, there are lots of companies in Ireland where it has worked well, and we have indeed had many of them present at our design thinking conference. One of the first ones that, that spring to mind, and I guess it's from a retail point of view, a great example is the Irish-owned company Musgrave. And you know them because they are the brand, they own the brand Super Value and Centra. And they're really all about, you know, delivering really good products and the best customer experience every day. And it's really interesting because they have a dedicated insight and innovation department. And they, without doubt, are really leading the way in terms of, of customer experience through design thinking. And maybe another example, a product example, is a company based in Kilkenny called Merlin Showering. And they make shower enclosures. You might think, well, what's, what's that got to do with, uh, with, with design thinking? But they are now the number one shower brand in Ireland and the UK. And design thinking has been very much used in developing their total, their total offering to the market. So not just the, the physical product of the enclosure, but all of the service that supports the product. And in fact, it was that that turned out to be um, one of the key differentiators for them in the market. So like, for example, in particular, they um, offered an excellent spare parts service to their customers in the UK, which was something that the competitors didn't offer at the time. So they've used the design thinking approach to help them you know, to, to clearly understand what their customers need. And this has really helped them become significant players in the market. And we see it across our own members in terms of the programs that we're running. A lot more companies are embracing design thinking. And I think certainly the more case studies that we can put out there and that we can you know, um, showcase, it will certainly help increase the adoption um, even further and help improve Ireland's innovation performance. That's very interesting. Um... Would you say that you are happy or thankful to have incorporated design thinking in your line of work? 
Oh, I definitely think so. I, you know, as I said earlier, when I think back to my earlier career, and it was very much R&D focused, and, you know, there was a way of, of going about um, your research, design thinking opens up a whole new vista. And it certainly makes you a lot more, um, I suppose, considerate. Um, you think about your, your users, you think about your colleagues, you think about how you engage differently with, with people. And that extends to your own life experience as well. So I, I think on whole, you know, employing design thinking techniques is, is very positive in your, in your work life. But it also extends as a positive in your in your private life as well. Certainly, um, I've seen you know, we've adopted those techniques ourselves. It has increased the collaborative approach that we adopt. Um, I've seen it utilize and really enhance the culture. You know, because when you're scaling design thinking, you're actually scaling a really positive culture. So I think employing design thinking is is only good. So, um, thinking about the current situation with COVID and let's look like post-COVID, what do you think will be the biggest challenges for innovators and in innovation? I think, I guess, as I mentioned earlier, um, there are lots of disruptive factors at play here. We have digitalization um, has increased at an enormous pace as a result of COVID. There are um, issues around sustainability that are big factors at play as well. We've got sophistication of customers and um, personalized approaches. And all of these things have been accelerated um, as a result of COVID. And it really requires companies to think differently about how they, um, how they react in order to to survive and thrive in their market because it's clear what they what they did to get them to this point is not the same as what they it's it's not what they'll need to get them to a better place in the future and employing the uh, employing the design thinking approach really is another layer that they can apply in their operations to help them meet those pressing demands that they have Well, I think we'll wrap it up there. Thank you very much, Bernie, for sharing your thoughts and experiences with us today. Thank you. It was really interesting. Thank you, Julia and Moritz. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode. See the description for links, credits and license information.